Welcome to the podcast series, Redefined in Christ. Each episode explores what it means to live a life of freedom through what Christ accomplished on the cross. So let's listen in on what our host, Tim Atterbury, is teaching on today. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Today we are talking about the anatomy of sin. This lesson will probably bring together most of the teaching I've done so far. I realize I'm bending and stretching your thinking a bit. And when we talk about the taking away of sin, it can sound ultra-conservative. Then again, when I talk about grace and forgiveness, it can sound ultra-liberal. I personally don't like either of those politically charged words. Being born again is not a religion. It's a spiritual experience, and our minds are not equipped to handle it. To say we are free from sin and to say grace is the only teacher we need can be hard to wrap our minds around. But I'm talking about a focus on what took place on the cross and what it means for us when we speak of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your faith is the deciding factor on these things. My goal in these lessons is to correct some of the misinformation that has been propagandized by the enemy. There's nothing the devil wants more than to keep you from living. He has three goals. Steal, kill, destroy. And he is definitely bent on destroying those of us who call ourselves Christians by diluting our message of freedom. Jesus came to heal, deliver, and to save. We are, we are the slaves that needed freedom. We are the oppressed. And we were the blind to whom he came to restore sight. I suppose the people did not like it much when he opened the scroll of Isaiah in the temple and read part of the scripture, but did not complete the thought. Luke 4.18 says, He read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recover sight to the blind and set free the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What did he leave out? You see, in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, the first part of verse 2, here's what it says. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance. (laughs) Why did Jesus stop before saying, and the day of our God's vengeance? Because he was fulfilling the first part. Vengeance comes in the end. He was reading his calling and role here on earth. He is not here during this time of grace to judge, but to pardon. Judgment will come to all those who choose not to believe he came to take away their sins. That was decided at the cross. I really do wonder what all those scribes thought of him when he stopped reading, rolled up the scroll, and sat down and then said, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. (laughs) Wow. Just wow. Imagine that. The Bible says in Galatians 5.1, Christ has liberated us to be free. The New International Version says it this way. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So it was for our liberation that Christ freed us. But what are we liberated from? 
In John 8, we are told that the truth will set us free, verse 32. And in 34, we are told that everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And in verse 36, therefore, if the Son sets you free, you you really will be free. So according to the Bible, we are free from sin. You and I are free from sin. We are no longer slaves to sin because we're not committing sin. Therefore, if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. As children of God, the more we understand our redemption, the more we will walk in our God-given inheritance. Just as Adam's death began when he bit into the fruit, so ours begins when we accept Jesus. Meaning, when we accept who he said he was and what he did for us at his death and resurrection. When I look at the event that began the curse of death and sin over us, I see how Adam and Eve represent two types of sin. Adam, disobedience, Eve, deception, or being deceived into believing a lie. We could also call these two types of sin missing the mark with intent and missing the mark without intent. When one rebels, they do it with purpose. When one is deceived, they are fooled into doing something. They are tricked into it. We could say that there was no intent to fall into darkness, but a person is caught off guard, not ready, and surprised sometimes at where they find themselves. I believe that most every sin, if not all, could easily find itself in one of these two categories, disobedience or being deceived. Sin came into existence because of the fall of humanity. Adam did not just represent us. He was our father. And all since Adam have been born under the curse of disobedience except for Jesus. We discussed that subject in a previous podcast. And because the curse of Adam's disobedience was death, the death ruled over humanity as a result of the sin over us put on us until Christ. There was no solution for overcoming death. We see this in 1 Corinthians 15.21. It says, For since death came through a man... The resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. I want you to note something here. According to this scripture, we were all in Adam and all in Christ. Our general problem in accepting this is our own experience with faith. Without it, we can't see what happened on the cross. Those in darkness, as Jesus told us, love the darkness more than the light and are therefore condemned. John 3.19, this then is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. All your life, you probably heard that Jesus saves you from your sins. So we need to know what we were saved from. The Bible tells us we were saved from being slaves to sin. Romans 6.20 says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free from allegiance to righteousness. And in verse 22, he says, but now, since you've been liberated from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the end is eternal life. It's interesting to me that many can recite the next verse, 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How could we miss the liberation from being a slave to sin, to being sanctified, justified, and free from sin? How could we miss that? 
I suppose we just try to make something logical that can only be accepted by faith. Perhaps learning more about what sin is can help us understand our freedom from it. The term sin is used in the Bible hundreds of times. There are many ways you can define sin. After, understanding on the, after studying the subject and understanding more about it, I'd like to refer back to a scripture in Isaiah. It says in 59.2, But your iniquities have built barriers between you and your God, and your sins have made him hide his face from you so that he does not listen. So I'd like to start in defining sin by saying, Sin builds barriers between you and God. So anything separating you from God is by nature, by its own nature, sin. So we can see from the scriptures that what sin does is form barriers. But this doesn't explain really what sin actually is. We can, however, find a definition in 1 John 3, 4. It says, Everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is the breaking of the law. (laughs) But I have to go ahead and finish the thought, because the next verse says, You know that he, speaking of Jesus, was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Wow. When we really understand what took place on the cross, we can not only define sin, but realize it is powerless to those who are born again. So sin is the breaking of the law. Many times we see this word transgress. Where there's a transgression, there is a law. And disobeying a law is a transgression. This happened under the old covenant. When you see transgression, it's almost always referring to disobeying the law of Moses. Let's look at what transgression means to us. A way to view sin is more of a common definition. It's found in the term of what John is saying here, the word transgression. When we transgress the law of God, it is sin. Although there are many words that have been translated as sin in the Bible, usually when referring to the law, it means transgression or breaking a law of God. And I will go ahead and say that almost always... It is in reference to the law of Moses, and this includes the Ten Commandments. So to be freed from the law means that we do not have to be Jews or abide by the old covenant for our salvation. I've spoken about this in the past lessons, and we'll continue because the cross is a dividing marker of the old and new covenants. To mix them together is to dilute the gospel of Jesus Christ, making it powerless for salvation. But we'll get into that later. (laughs) For now, let's talk about the sin. The term hata is what one refers to when sin is translated as transgress. If you violate any of those 614 commandments of the Jewish law, you are transgressing. Some of the sins were punishable by death. You see, this possibly referred to in the New Testament when the writer offers uh, the, the term sin unto death. In 1 John 5, 16, 17, it says it like this. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not bring death, he should ask and God will give life to him, to those who commit sin that doesn't bring death. There is a sin that brings death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that does not bring death. This can be difficult to understand. Many debate these verses. John could be referring to the sinful behaviors brought on by carnal thinking because a sinful behavior can be easily forgiven, but a sinful lifestyle will lead to death. Was he talking about this? Well, I 
I'm not really sure, but I, I think he might be referring to a Jewish law that required the death penalty. And some Jews were still practicing that in the churches. And so he was clarifying that there are some sins that would cause the transgression of the law that would bring that death penalty. But anyway, we'll have to study that more later. But what I want you to note here to us in this segment of Scripture is that, that he says this, he says uh, that all unrighteousness is sin. Hmm. So anything unrighteous, which would also mean anything unjustified, is sin. This would mean that righteousness through Christ is the only salvation from sin because we are justified and made righteous through Him, which is something we teach as part of the Christian faith. So let's go ahead and look at verses, verse 18. It says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, but the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Note that according to this verse, those who are born of God do not sin. Sometimes our present-day cookie-cutter church religious view says that we are all sinners and cannot move past being a sinner. This may be true if we are talking about the physical body and the brain, the chemistry, and other parts of us that are subjected to the Spirit but not yet really saved because our bodies are mortal and will die in corruption and be resurrected, we'll have new glorified bodies later. But it will come, become clearer and clearer to you in these lessons that those who are born of God do not live in sin. We're speaking from a spiritual standpoint. Where there is faith that one is living in Christ, according to the Scriptures, it is impossible to be in Adam because we're in Christ. We are either in Adam or in Christ. I'll talk shortly about the body and the soul a little bit more, but for now we're talking about what it takes what takes place spiritually in our lives. We are in Christ and are immune from the transgression of the law of Moses and from death itself. We are in right standing with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. So let's dig in and take a closer look at those Hebrew and Greek words used for sin. Hata, literally meaning to miss the mark. According to the Hebrew culture, this missing the mark could be intentional or unintentional, as I mentioned. You could wander off the path, or you could choose a wrong path. This is why repentance has to do with a return as well, and to remain on the right path, or righteous. When you remained on the right path, it was righteous. And when you wandered off the path, it was either missing the mark, or missing the mark on purpose. This is the definition of the noun sin, and its common biblical term, missing the mark. And for them, in the Old Testament, it was the transgression of the law of Moses any time after Exodus, when we're looking at Exodus on through. This is why I opened the lesson in referring to these types of sins, because one is missing the mark intentional, and the other is unintentional, disobeying or being deceived. But hata is not the only word for sin in the Old Testament. In fact, most of the time, the terms translated from Hebrew to the word sin in the Old Testament means evil or bad. Basically, Contrary to God's nature. There's another term that means sin or offense. This word basically describes a thing deserving of punishment. So the majority of words sometimes translated as sin refers to doing something contrary to good or moral nature and doing something intentionally offensive to others, not just transgressing the law of Moses because there were other things, sins, types of sins, I guess you would say before, Exodus, throughout Genesis. 
And still there's other words that have been translated as sin. So you see, sin has many uh, words that describe, describe it, and we interpret those words in different ways in the Old Testament as, as behaviors of sin often. There's a term which means wicked or morally wrong. Then there's a word for iniquity or perverse or twisted. So sometimes we are referring to evil-minded people or ones who twist everything into a form of hedonism or pleasure-seeking that contradicts the nature of God. These are all part of the carnal or fallen human nature. All of these terms are used more often in the Old Testament than the term used for transgression, meaning rebellion against God's laws. Although they are contradictory to godly nature in the end. However, in the New Testament, there are a lot of references to the transgression of the law. The New Testament writers referred to this transgression of the law of Moses because, because through sacrifices, one could be saved from the eternal punishment of their transgressions. This changed with Jesus. And so, most of the time, the law is discussed by New Testament writers to define the difference between the law of Moses, or Old Covenant, and the grace of God through Jesus Christ as defined in the New Covenant. This New Covenant is referred to in Hebrews 8.6 when the writer says, But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry, and to that degree, he is a mediator of a better covenant, which has been legally enacted on better promises. I use the Holman Christian Standard Bible. I like how it clearly defines what is legal, what's not legal. It uses legal terminology. King James Version says it this way, that it's been established upon a better promise. But indeed, the action of Jesus was a legal action and took away the jurisdiction of the law of Moses. Anyone that teaches that the law was not done away with, I can only say that they stand in the defiance of what the Bible says or they just do not read it or study it or understand it in its fullness. The old, te- the old covenant and the new covenant cannot and do not coexist. Sarah and Hagar cannot live in the same household. An example given by Paul in Galatians 4, 21-31. Usually anyone thinking that they can work together is misunderstanding what the law that is being referred to by the writers of the New Testament really is. In Matthew 5.17, Jesus said he did not come to abolish the law, but rather fulfill it. You see, he completed the law of Moses by being the ultimate sacrifice. Therefore, the new covenant began with the fulfillment of the old. It was abolished. No, it was completed. And therefore, it was done away with. Now we are required to be under a new covenant with God to have eternal life. Still today, many of us try to use parts of the law of Moses and worse, our own rules and regulations in place of the guidance of the Holy Spirit on each heart. There's much to be said about proper mentoring, but we must be careful not to bring in another enslaved mother into the household of the freedom that Christ has given us. Huh. Let's take a moment and look at what happened to change from the old covenant to the new covenant. And then we will continue defining sin. Hebrews 7, 18 and 19 tells us that there is an annulling of the old covenant. It says, so the previous command is annulled because it was weak and unprofitable for the law perfected nothing. But a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. 
So you see the transgression of the old laws and the sacrifices to forgive the transgression were annulled by the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. He then established the new covenant. Let's continue defining sin. There are other words and frequently used for being guilty based on offense or trespass. There's a term for going astray. And there are terms for ignorance, deceived, and entrapped. Even though all of these definitions would easily define some form of what sin is and mean to miss the mark, we would have to know what the mark was. And for the Jews who were followers of the law of Moses, that law was the mark God gave them. This law marked their sins and would let them know when they were disobeying God. No one could be saved if they did not keep the law. They would have to have sacrificed, a blood sacrificed, uh, to cover their sins. But this transgression of the law ended with the old covenant. So let's turn to the new covenant for more understanding of what sin is defined by the writers and followers of Christ. You see, it's, the New Testament is mostly in Greek. And in the Greek, what makes up the original language of the body of the New Testament, we have words translated to sin that mean offense, error, transgression, violation, and ungodly. Only four times can we find the word that is the concrete and properly used term that translates directly as the word sin, if I understand correctly. So, there are other words meaning evil, injurious, bad, unjust, or lawless. So when we say sin, we're generalizing many moral, many morally bad behaviors. In an attempt to define sin as certain behaviors, we can easily miss other things. But in the end, I think we could all agree that we're referring to something that's creating a barrier between us and God as written in Isaiah. These descriptive nouns give, give names to sinful behaviors, but Again, we come across this idea of missing the mark. The verb is an action. It includes faults, offenses, sins, and trespasses. There's another word translated for going astray, wandering, and missing the mark by accident. Again, what we would call being deceived. And there is also a word used to mean violate a commandment by transgression or not obeying the law. So the Greek word that means to miss the mark is the most common one found, and many others are derived from it. And we can see it defined as, by, as Paul says, it coming short of the glory of God in some translations of Paul's writing. All of these forms of disobedience and responses to being deceived result in what we would call sinful acts or sinful behaviors. But where do they stem from? Sinful nature. It's something the New Testament calls carnality or flesh or carnal mindedness, the mindset of the flesh. So, if you listen to some of my other lessons, you would find that uh, you've heard me make mention of the mindset of the flesh or the mindset of Christ or the mindset of the Spirit. The mindset of the flesh is where sin is conceived and when birth brings forth death. Did you get that? The mindset of the flesh is where sin is conceived. And when it's birthed, it brings forth death. But for now, let's look again at what sin is, because looking at sin as a whole, we can sum it up in the most common view of the writers of the New Testament. They wrote about it this way. It was missing the mark in some form or other. But then this leaves us with the question about the New Testament. What does it mean to miss the mark? What mark? I think the answer can be found in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. 
For I pass on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. When we miss this message, we miss the mark. The mark is the new covenant, the new spiritual birth through believing that Jesus was who He said He was and did what He said He did. Paul says in Acts 13.38 concerning Jesus, Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you, and everyone who believes in him is justified from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. (laughs) Is that not clear? A clear defining mark? (laughs) Earlier, I stated that the Jews under the law of Moses... They would be missing the mark when they weren't obeying the 600 plus laws established for them to live. As we move into the New Testament, even born again Jews would often try to hold on to these laws, mostly out of tradition and respect for the law that God had given them. They believed if the Gentiles or the non-Jews would abide by those laws, it would help them. They meant well, but the problem was, much of the time, Where there was a lot of emphasis on these laws, they were becoming a substitute for the work of Christ. And Paul tells them more than once in his letters that to amplify the law is to amplify thinking and practicing sin. Wow. But we should not be surprised by this. If somebody tells you not to touch the stove, you want to touch it. Just about every church organization has a list of don'ts for its members and with the idea that it will help them to live better, but often misinterpreted as necessary or required to be a member or worse, to be a Christian. And it keeps everyone thinking about all of the sins they might be committing as transgressions against their own laws. This grand mistake often called by the contemporary Christian, is religion. It slipped in and has attempted to take a place of the work of the cross of Christ and impose laws beyond what Christ required. Religion, with its rules, has, has always plagued the church and has been weaponized by the devil to steal away what Christ has done on the cross. Someone living out our good intentions could still miss the mark made by the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. So, Let's look again at what took place on that cross. Because this is the mark for all Christians. We do not follow the laws of Moses for salvation. When we miss the mark, it's not a written law we miss. It's the work of the cross of Christ that we miss. Missing what happened there means that we live in sin because of unbelief. Those that don't receive the good news of Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross and in his resurrection are called unbelievers and sinners. Why? Because ultimately our sin is our unbelief. And in some cases, such as in the case of Paul before his conversion, leads us to rebel against the love of God. Those who do not believe are being deceived by the darkness of their own minds. We have to find this darkness in the past, as the condemnation that exists in those who choose not to allow the Holy Spirit to open their spiritual eyes to see the love of God as expressed through Jesus Christ and described by Jesus in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world is the reason John 16, 3.16 gives us for the action of God to establish a new covenant. 
His forgiveness through Jesus freed us from the law and from death. Since the law was fulfilled or completed in Christ and death was conquered by his resurrection, the sacrifice of Jesus took the place and and brought an end to the law of Moses. Referring to this, the writer of Hebrews speaks of Jesus and says in Hebrews 9, 24 through 28, For the Messiah did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the one, the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times, as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it appointed for people to die, just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this the judgment, so also the Messiah, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. He not only conquered death for us, but he also removed sin. We will receive our total salvation in the future through the action of the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ that took place in the past. That, my friend, is why we have to have faith. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the disciple John says in 1 John 3, 5, You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Notice he is writing many years after the death of Jesus, yet he uses present tense to say there is no sin in him. And it was Paul that clearly stated we are in him. Wow, many times we fall, sorry, many times we fail to understand the role faith plays in our lives. But every time you see past tense in reference to sin and present tense to being freed from it, it is your faith that will accept or reject it. The law of Moses and the sacrifices to forgive them did not require faith, only obedience. However, our salvation comes through faith in what God did through Jesus in giving us eternal life. There is no action on our part beyond faith. I realize it's hard to imagine, and you may find some scriptures in the New Testament speaking of actions we must take. Always look for them in context of what grace means to us. The Bible says faith works through love. That means believing and trusting in God's grace. I would refer you now to look at the podcast on grace for more insight on what it really means to us. Romans 10.4 sums it up in a simple statement. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And verse 8 says, This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And finally, verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the gospel, my friend. It's not difficult. It just requires faith in God's grace. So let's look at what happened to sin according to the New Testament. Because I haven't heard much lately about how Jesus took our sins away. I keep hearing Christians say they are just saved sinners. Well, to say I'm just a sinner saved by grace sounds a little low-key for what really happened. 
Though one may profess that they are plagued with a natural, sin-laden body that fights against their faith in the work of, crop, work of the cross, I feel that a better understanding of being sin-free can rid many Christians of the fear of death and of all the destruction that comes with the mentality that we are sinners. I suppose it has much to do with perception. We either speak from faith or we speak from flesh. So what happened to the message that Jesus took away our sins? John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1, 29, King James. And earlier I mentioned where it says in Hebrews that Jesus removed sin. And in earlier references of the law, here is what the disciple John says concerning the Lamb of God in John 1, 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Many teach that Jesus took away the sin of believers, but the Bible says he eradicated it from the world. Mm-hmm. So my question is to you, it's simple, but this is his finished work on the cross. He took all of our sins away. The spiritual realm has been cleansed of sin because Jesus annulled the law and therefore made transgression impossible. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. So, transgression, so, oh, there is no transgression. So my question is, how can you be saved? How can you be born again and consider yourself in sin? Romans 4.15 says, For the law produces wrath, and where there is no law, remember the law of Moses is gone, there is no transgression. Therefore, there is no sin of transgression. So how can sin exist in the world? My question is, what are you going to do with the fact that Jesus took all the sin away? As a friend recently said, wow, it's hard to wrap your brain around. And that is so true. It takes faith in God and believing the grace he showed toward us to be able to accept this truth. The Bible says it several times, but we tend to think it in terms of our sin is taken away at new spiritual birth. Actually, being born again is our acceptance of the truth. We accept Christ and what took place on the cross and in his resurrection. He doesn't take our sins away when we are born again. He took them away when he died and was resurrected. We receive a revelation and the truth is uncovered. And we see that truth for the first time with spiritual eyes and accept it through faith. It is a mind change from believing our carnal mindset and moving into a spiritual mindset. It is a spiritual act and requires a revelation from the Holy Spirit to be born again. I speak more about this in another uh, podcast on being born again. When Jesus removed sin, he took its dominion and control from us so that we don't have to live in that lie that sin has cast over us. We're no longer its slaves, and we don't have to live in the curse and deception of the darkness. We can live without it. We can follow the Holy Spirit. Because he is the one who led us out of the darkness into the light of God's love and peace. He will lead us into eternity. We often testify that Jesus took our sins away. I heard it said this way, and it makes sense. Jesus took sin away from us. Listen how the Bible puts it, Romans 4.25. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let me remind you that justification means made righteous or put in right standing with God. That's why the next verse, Romans 5.1, continues. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord 
Jesus Christ. Listen to these other scriptures. Romans 5, 8 and 9. But God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, since we have now been declared righteousness by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. Makes sense, since we're freed from transgression. Romans 5.18, so then as through one trespass there is condemnation for everyone, so also through the one righteous act there is life-giving justification for everyone, everyone, everyone. Notice no one is left out of this good, almost unbelievable news, the gospel. It was while we were sinners Christ died for us. It is life-giving justification for everyone who accepts. Verse 20 says, the law came along to multiply the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow, I know it's a lot. And I know I'm asking you to understand a lot here. And I'm going pretty quick because it's a long podcast. But please consider listening back at this and even sitting down with it and studying some of these scriptures. Paul raises the question in Romans 6 2. And I'm asking you the same question. What should we then say? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who die, how can we who died to sin still live in it? That was Paul's question and comment. So here we are presented with a question by Paul. How can we who died to sin still live in it? A good question for today's church. Wow. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of the Messiah who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God cleanse our our consciousness from death, our conscience from death, Dead works. Sorry, I can't read the word consciousness. Conscience. That's what it is. How could he cleanse us from conscience, from dead works, to serve the living God? So I messed up that scripture. Let me try it again. You know, this is an unedited podcast. How much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Romans 6.6 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since the person who has died is freed from sin's claim. Well, verse 11, So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In verse 14, For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law but under grace. Can I just read that scripture again for you? Because I know this is fast, but listen to this again. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin's claims, so you too consider yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. Hallelujah. Can we just live that mindset? This is what I'm talking about. Being in a different position. We are redefined in Christ. That's the whole theme of these podcasts. How is this possible? 
How is it possible that I'm not under the law but under grace? How is it possible that, I, that my conscience has been cleansed from dead works? How is it possible that I don't live in sin anymore? It is all possible because of a man named Jesus who died for my sins. 2 Corinthians 5.19 puts it this way. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And listen, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. We're going to talk about reconciliation in the next uh, podcast. But notice here that it says that God did not count their trespasses of the world against them. You see, when Christ died and rose, he finished the work that needed to be done. He was the ultimate sacrifice of the law of Moses, therefore covering all the sins or transgressions against the law. Then he chose to justify everyone, making all of us to be in right standing in him. We were made righteous, freed from the law of sin and death, given the ability in faith and grace to be free from sin's claims. What were the claims of sin? Well, sin claims that you could not be saved without following the practice of the sacrifices under the law of Moses. But through Jesus, the whole world was reconciled to God. Everything was accomplished on the cross. So why are so many of us, and I don't mean this wrong, but why are so many of us weak-minded in our faith? I don't mean this as a criticism or even an accusation. It's just a relevant question. Why? We proclaim that we've been freed from sin, but see ourselves as sinners and what we say about ourselves and how we live it out every day can allow us to be a sinner by self-fulfilled prophecy. We must have balance in how we see our lives. I know that even Paul pronounces himself on the top of the list as sinner, of a sinner, on top of the list of sinners, but he also saw himself redeemed set free from all of the sin. I'm not asking you to completely understand how it was taken away, but just accept it by faith. So if I were you right now, I'd probably have a few questions. And one of them is, if sin was taken away, then how could I sin? Remember, some forms of the sin vary in the way we use them. Generally, to sin is to miss the mark or as we have discussed, not believe that Jesus took our sins away and justified us. So I'm asking you to really embrace this truth through the Holy Spirit. When darkness tries to deceive you, don't conceive it as a truth in your life. This is how sin is born in you. It comes through a lie and thrives in your embrace of that lie. When I tell you as a Christian that your sins were taken away by Jesus and his work of the redemption, and that you are free from any condemnation or judgment of God, but you are now living in his love, peace, joy, and eternal hope. Do you really believe me? If sin was taken, it was taken and abolished by justification. How can you live in sin and be justified? Accept the truth by faith and don't doubt it. Jesus took away your sin. I believe any of us can turn our backs on God. We can walk away from Christ and our faith Jesus even said those who are a part of him and do not produce the fruit of righteousness will be cut off from God. Look closely at John 15 and the story of the vineyard keeper and the vine. We can always choose to allow sin to rule our lives, but we are Christians. And as Christians, sin cannot rule because sin was eradicated by the cross of Christ. Its power was dissolved and you were absolved 
from any transgression. I believe this because I have faith in God and by what this word of God says about us. Still, Paul says, I don't want to do what I do. We often left feeling the same way when we listen to our carnal mindedness that survives in our bodies and brains. We are stuck in this natural man that thinks in a perverse way concerning the work of God. This soul salvation is a process. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 4.22. You took off your former way of life, the old self. This phrase, former self, is literally translated man equating to person before conversion. So he's saying, before your conversion, you were an old self. He says, you took off your former way of life, the old self. That is corrupted by deceit desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. That's Ephesians 4.22. Our understanding of being free from sin will better come through understanding the difference in our spirit, soul, and body. The spirit is completely free from sin. It's a done deal. All we have to do is believe the gospel. Our soul has its destination based on our faith. Our soul is connected and makes up most, if not all, of what one would call the mind. The scripture I just read speaks of that battle. We must put on this mind of Christ. Our soul is the battlefield. We must constantly make sure that the enemy does not steal our faith and our testimony of our freedom from sin in this place, our mind. Our soul, because it's torn between what we accept in faith and what we experience in the natural world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is a tremendous battleground. Our thinking has changed at new birth, and our mind is being led by the Holy Spirit leading the soul to salvation. Our soul is saved because of our spirit because of our spiritual faith, not just because of a belief in God, but a belief that He has saved us and freed us from our sins. We will have new glorified bodies at the resurrection, so our mortal bodies will die in corruption and be raised incorruptible. We will, we will have a new body, a glorified body. So even those living by faith will die a natural death, but the Bible says we will only sleep, speaking from a spiritual standpoint. Again, our spirit speaking over our minds and our bodies. We will close our eyes on this earthly nightmare and open them to reality of being an eternal living spirit. Listen to what Paul says concerning the physical body in Romans 6. He deals with all these spirit, soul, and body parts in Romans 6. Look at twelve thirteen. Therefore... 6, 12, and 13. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God, all the parts of yourself to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. So we really are free from sin. It was taken care of. We're a new creature. The old self died with Christ on the cross. Our souls have received their promise of salvation, and our bodies will die corruptible, but will be raised incorruptible. You can bring forth a lie and make it a truth for yourself, and of course, it becomes sin to you. Watch what happens. James 1, 14 and 15. 
But each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire is conceived, it brings birth to sin. Sorry, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. This is how you bring a lie to life in your own being. When you believe something to be true when it's not, it means that you've embraced the lie and make it true for yourself. And that is sin. Anything you do that is not in faith is sin. You're producing ideas and thoughts of darkness, and they are not born of God. They are not born of faith. These things can cause you to believe a lie. Sin happens in your mind and is played out in the body. This brings forth death, and death becomes or death becomes sin because of it. And sin in the new covenant is brought about by your unbelief. So when we no longer love Jesus because we do not believe, we are condemned by our unbelief and darkness will rule over us. So really, when when you look at all the behaviors named in the New New Testament as sin, really, it all comes down to belief in faith, taking your faith and believing that Jesus died for your sins and took them away, or you don't believe it. And those that don't believe are lost in their darkness. So in this pro- thought process, I'm left with a carnal mindedness, which is the fallen nature of mankind. I cannot shake this body, this brain, these chemicals, and how all of it drives thoughts into darkness. But Jesus made a way for me and you on the cross. The lie that began in the Garden of Eden has now seen the light. I live in the light which is the truth, the life, the way. Everything else is a lie. It's a deception and it is darkness. This condemning force rules over those who do not believe. Unbelief in Christ, unbelief in Christ is living in the lie that Jesus did not take the sin away from the world. Unbelief is listening to any thought that rises against God's love as expressed through Jesus and confirmed in your spirit by the Holy Spirit. It is this unbelief that causes people to believe that sin still has control over them, and it doesn't. But they allow it, so then it does. How? They love darkness more than they love the light, and they live in that lie. In John 3, 18, 19, Jesus says it this way. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This then is the judgment. The light has come to the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. We love the pleasures of this world. We love this life. We love the things we see. We love the things we feel. It's like a drug that keeps us hallucinating. Sin was taken away, but we think it still remains. And therefore, it does remain in us because we believe the lie and we suffer because of it. Wow. So I'm going to ask you another question. Does this mean that someone can just do anything and it's not sin? Well, hopefully it's obvious by the Scriptures that if one acts on a thought that is not in faith, it's sin. Again, you can see this. It's not a behavior based on a law, but a decision not made in faith. A person either chooses or or chooses not to believe. Paul discusses this in Romans 14 and in verse 23. 
But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, speaking about a belief that it could be a sin to eat certain foods, because his eating is not from conviction, also translated faith. And everything that is not from a conviction or faith is sin. So how can sin still exist? It exists in unbelief. Behaviors of sin do not come from love, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. They come from selfish, natural, and evil desires of darkened hearts, producing sin in their minds and condemning them, just as Jesus said. Did Jesus take away the sin by his death on the cross? Yes, because the scriptures say so, and because we believe it to be true. Can someone still live a life of sin? Yes, because they have chosen to walk away from the truth and believe the lie, and they did not die in Christ and rise with him in resurrection. They do not believe they are baptized into him through his death and resurrection. Choosing to walk away from this revelation will lead to eternal darkness and ultimately damnation, condemned by their own decision to love the lie more than the truth of God through Jesus Christ. I really believe that. I know this is a long podcast. I've said that before, and I, I kind of warned you early on. So please, if you have to listen to this again or sit down with it and study, I think it would be well worth it. I'm going to close here, but I want to I share a little story. <clears throat> Look at it this way. I had a dog. I once had a dog, a friendly mix of a Labrador and a, a hound. Who could have a friendlier dog than that, right? But I had her in a fenced-in area, and I would go in and play with her and spend time with her there. This happened for years. Then one day I opened the gate for her to come out. I tried to call her out. I could hardly even pull her out. She refused to leave her place of comfort, the place she had lived all her life. She believed the cage was her home, where she should be, and where she felt free from fear. She didn't know that her freedom was on the other side of that gate. This is a great analogy for many sinners. For those who are unbelievers, they choose to live in this world, in this natural realm, and the things of this world is the reality of their comfort. They don't know what freedom is. And for people that are caught up in transgression of laws, of churches, of religions, that live out the rules and regulations and may not have the relationship with Jesus Christ, this is that person has comfort level in a rule. They can tell you how to behave or they can act a certain way and be free in that. They don't know what true freedom is. Some of us just enjoy the prison more. We have food and shelter. We feel safer there than facing the world. But we have overcome the world through Jesus. How can I help you leave this cage that feels comfortable, that has its rules and regulations to live because the enslavement of sin is comfortable and giving an illusion of some form of salvation? How can I help you walk free of the bondage of fear and even death itself? How do you free your mind from the belief that sin is necessary and even inevitable? You were freed from sin through Jesus Christ. I I can only encourage you to live in that freedom. That is who you are. That is what you are. Liberated and free in Christ. Like I said at the beginning, I have... I have looked forward to writing this lesson and this, this, this whole podcast, but I have to admit, there's another part of me. It's a part of me that complicates things, that tries to live the lie. I'll tell you, it seems to be a most difficult subject to discuss for one reason. This carnal part of me 
still doesn't want to accept the truth that I have been set free from sin and death. My body wars against it. The carnal thinking is an enemy of Christ and refuses the idea that I can be saved from sin. But you know what? My spirit knows something different. So my friend, remember faith works through love. And live a sin-free life in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Be sure to tell your friends that they can find it on most major distributions. Just search Tim Atterbury or the title Redefined in Christ. You can learn more about Tim, his mission work in Honduras, and transcripts of these podcasts at www.timatterbury.website. Again, thanks for listening. And remember, faith works through love.